Today's scripture is from Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was approaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it was deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon the, both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. It happens so often, as with so many great things in our lives, that I fail to even mention it most of the time because we're all just so used to it. But uh, so often the prayer before a sermon, something asking God to speak to us, which God is always wanting to do, uh, it, it's, it's just spot on. It just says what the message, what the passage is trying to say. So really, there's not much need for a sermon anymore. But before there's any smart aleck comments, I'm going to go ahead and prepared and uh, we're going to go through with it anyway. So thank you, Russ, for uh, your prayers there for all of us. Um, I love this text. I love the casual nature of it, the way Luke tells the story. He says, on one occasion or other translations say once while this was going on, it has that sort of once upon a time feel. Uh, and it l reminds us that Jesus did many things that were never recorded. Jesus had many uh, occasions to spend time with the disciples and other people that were never written down. And so we just get a glimpse of that, and, and we get a sense of that when Luke says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. You know, just another day at the office for Jesus, uh, the crowds are pressing in, they want to hear what's going on, and so Jesus kind of adapts his day to what's happening. They're, they're on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee in a certain region, and gets real specific with what's going on. And Jesus sees these two boats by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them. So perfect opportunity for a pulpit. And he gets a hold of Peter. He says, hey, would you, you know, push this out a little bit? And we're going we're gonna to have a little conversation here. Uh, I love the way, too, that Jesus just essentially takes his ministry to the normal everyday workplaces uh, of, of the disciples, people like Peter. And we see him doing the same thing for us today. And all of us would say that, you know, we've run into Christ so many times when we didn't expect it. We're just... 
It's another day at the office. It's another day at home. I'm just washing another load of clothes. I'm just filling out this another spreadsheet. I'm trying to make sense and make all these numbers match. I was going through this other deal. I was working through this last lesson plan. I was trying to figure out what our defensive strategy is going to be against this next team this next week. And there walks in Jesus. And just in the midst of what we've got going on, he just proceeds to interact with us and work with us and call out to us and invite us to consider what it is that he is wanting us to do. And so this idea, too, of just Jesus kind of commandeering your boat, you know, I'm trying to get my mind around that because Peter, I mean, he, this is a successful, you know, commercial fishing enterprise. This is not just kind of some little deal, but Simon has, he, he has not only his family involved, but he's got his partners, uh, James and John and their family. And this is a, you know, a pretty big operation. This is something that's going on. A lot of livelihood depends on this. This is a big economic impact thing. And it just might seem a little strange for somebody, you know, this wandering rabbi to commandeer your boat so he can talk to people, so he can preach. But I don't, I, I don't know what that would be like boat wise, but I've been trying to imagine what this story this week, uh, the way it unfolds, I'll get to in a minute, uh, what it would be like if, if, if for those of you that have ever like, I don't know, just any job you've gone about and you've kind of put up your tools for the day and then someone comes along and says, hey, can you get those tools back out so we can do a little more work? And you're just going, what? I, I just put those up. You know, I just cleaned those. I mean, they're washing their nets. They're washing their linen nets, which had to be washed after every use. And uh, Jesus just asks these kind of casual questions. And so then he finishes speaking, and he says to Simon, uh, and he's speaking in second person, but he, plural, but he says, Simon, uh, would y'all go ahead and just put these nets back out into the deep and, and let, let your nets out for a catch? And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night, and we caught nothing, uh, but at your word I will let down the nets. Simon knows who Jesus is. Jesus knows who Simon is. They've had some commerce before. We don't know a whole lot about it, except that we know that Jesus just fairly recently has, has been to uh, the house of Simon's mother where she was sick, and Jesus healed her, and we don't get a lot of commentary about that, but they, they, they know each other. I mean, they know what's going on. Simon is, is already inclined to whatever Jesus is doing in ministry. Jesus already has his eye on Simon. He knows the surrounding. He knows what's going on. So this is not kind of an out-of-the-blue story. This is more like the kind of stories that we experience where we know Jesus, we know we've been in church, and we still have those moments where Jesus shows up what seems like unexpectedly and takes us on a new adventure. And so um, he asked him this question, you know, take, go out there and catch some more fish, and let's go catch some fish. And Peter, the master fisherman, says, uh, Jesus, I mean, no offense here, but uh, we've, we've already been fishing all night. And the nets that we use, you know, they're night fishing nets. They're linen net. They don't, nobody catches fish with these during the day. Uh, and everybody knows that. And so all due respect, I mean, we, we've already been at this and we kind of know what we're doing. But Simon being Simon and being, you know, disposed to Jesus in this way, he says, but if you say so, 
will let down the nets. And how, how many of y'all have felt that way? You know, you, you, God calls you to do something, somebody asks you to work a church camp or do something, and you go, I don't know, I don't think you know who you're asking, all right? I'm not cut out for that sort of thing, I'm not doing whatever, and we go on and we wrestle and we wrestle, and then finally we say, okay, but if you say so, Lord, I'll, I'll give it a whirl, you know, I'll try it out. Um, I, I liken this experience, I was imagining this scenario this week where uh, when, when I was a teenager, I spent a lot of time helping neighbors and, and gathering big, big cattle pastures in the summertime when it was branding season. And I loved to do it. I loved to go out there and do it. It was part of the fun. And you would make the big drive and gather the big pasture. But you would always have, you know, after, after it warms up in the summer, you would always have a few strays, a few cattle that you miss in those big pastures. And everybody knew, I mean, if you didn't catch them kind of before it got hot, you weren't going to be able to find them that day. They're going to go lay, I see some heads shaking out there. They're going to go lay down in the brush. They're going to go hide. They're going to go find those rocky places where you can't get to on a horse and you're certainly not going to be able to catch them. And so they've eluded you. They probably eluded people before and that's how it's going to be. So I just imagine, you know, you're, you're kind of unsaddling your horses after one of those experiences and Jesus comes along and says, hey, Strebeck, let's, can we, you know, saddle your horse back and, and can I go out with you guys and we can find those strays? And I'm going, it's noon, Jesus. Uh, and everybody knows in this county you ain't going to find anything at noon. And, but okay, if you say so, you know, we'll go try it. Uh, but it, it has that kind of ridiculous nature to it, which is what makes it such an unbelievable experience for Peter when the nets go out and not only do they catch a few fish, but their nets are full. And they have to call their business partners for help and bring their boat over and their nets are full. And, you know, they're filling both boats with all these fish. And so Simon is overwhelmed. He's seen something he knows is not just an everyday thing, and he recognizes he's in the presence of God. And so he does what we all do in those moments. He falls down on his knees and he says, I'm not worthy to be here in this moment. Something is happening here, and I'm <laughs> something other, and I'm, I have no words, and I don't know what to say. But so Peter says... Um, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. <clears throat> Jesus proceeds to reassure Peter, and he says, you don't have to be afraid, all right? From now on, this is going to be normal for you. Uh, you don't have to be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching people. And it's going to be different, and you're going to go places that you never imagined. You're going to go a lot of places in ministry, Simon, where it seems like fishing during the day with nighttime nets. And you're going to shake your head, and you're going to scratch your head, and you're going to say, this is never going to work, and, but it's okay. And I know you feel like you're not worthy and all that stuff, but I'm calling you, and I want you to go. And your, your business partners love you, and they're going to they're gonna follow you. Other people are going to come along. They're going to follow you. And it's, it's time that we get this show on the road, and it's time to go. This story, this kind of story, this call story is so important for us to learn and to teach to our kids and for us to remember and rehearse throughout life because it reminds us, it kind of helps us recognize when Jesus is talking to us, when he's calling us. And it's very, the, these features all work together. The community is involved. You know, it's not just Peter and Jesus. It's Peter and some of his closest friends and his business partners. It's people that he spends all day, every day with. And so they all can learn to hear the voice of Jesus together. So they're not having to do this solo. It's a group effort as it is with us 
today in the church. It's a beautiful picture of, of learning these stories together and recognize. And, and Simon knew. I mean, he's a good Jewish kid. He knows, he recognizes that this is the call of God. Remember the Isaiah story in Isaiah 6 where it goes through a similar rhythm, right? There's the, the glory of the Lord fills the temple and Isaiah is overwhelmed and he falls down and he says what? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and you got the wrong guy, <laughs> you know? And, and so God reassures Isaiah through the cleansing of the coal on his lips and says, it's okay. From now on, uh, you're going to be going to these people, and you're going to be speaking words that they may not even listen to, but this is, this is what I'm calling you to do. And so there's this reassurance, and then after the reassurance comes this commission. This is what I'm going to have you doing now. And, and so he asks Isaiah, uh, who will go for me? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, uh, send me. And Peter, in effect, says the same thing. Here I am, send me. And I, what, a, what a great boat ride back to the shore. Can you imagine what that was like? You know, were there any words said? Was it just total silence? Was Peter crying? Is he trembling? Is he laughing? Is he, I don't know, but I, I, I would have liked to have been there for that boat ride where the very next thing is they leave everything and follow Jesus. So Peter, knowing the Isaiah story, I think he knew what was going on. He realized it was his time and he had a choice to make. And so the good news for us is that God is always calling. And thanks be to God, God doesn't stop calling when we fail to listen or we just miss it sometimes. And that's a really great thing. Uh, another good news about calling, anytime we talk about calling, it's important to remember that uh, we talked about this a few weeks back, that our primary calling as Christians, we always believe our primary calling is simply to be a child of God. It doesn't get any more basic or more beautiful than that. We, we don't, none of us start in any different place than that. We all have to first hear that we are called to be children of God. And that happens uh, through, we're affirmed in the community through our baptism. We're welcomed into the church. We're reminded that we have a family, that we're not alone. It doesn't matter who our parents were, whether we had a great home life or a bad home life or whatever was going on, but that we have a family, we have a home in the church as a part of God's family because it's the body of Christ and everyone is welcome. Everyone who is thirsty gets to come and drink from the fountain. So that's how we all start in the same place where we're all born into the family of God in the same exact way. So our first calling is always to belong, just to be, just to be who we are in the presence of God. That's the first thing, a child of God. And then the next thing that we figure out through the rest of our lives. You know, I used to think we just, it was like one thing, you kind of find out what your calling is and you're 20 years old and then you figure, and that's it. And then you just do that for the rest of your life. And that y'all are going to be laughing in your heads going, wow, you, you thought that you, but we all know that that's not how it works. You know, we go through so many iterations of what God is calling us to do, whether it be our vocation or our family life or friendships and places that we live. And so that's part of the beauty of the variety and the diversity of God's calling it finds us in so many different places with so many different types of obedient responses. So how will we participate in the mission of catching people, of setting people free as a part of Jesus' ministry? <clears throat> Marriage is a calling. Our workplaces can be a calling. An education we might be called to get is a calling. If you're a student, it's a calling. If you engage in spiritual practices, it can be a calling. 
Sometimes we move somewhere as a part of a calling. Sometimes we stay somewhere as a part of a calling. Sometimes we plug in deeper into a community we already live. We make room in our lives for our neighbors as a part of a calling. I love stories like the following about St. Melanie the Elder. It helped me remember the variety of callings that we have. Now, St. Melanie the Elder was a uh, person who was born, she was of Spanish origin, but she was a Roman citizen in the late 4th century. It's beautiful that we have some of these stories about some of these desert mothers, but when she was 14 years old, she was married to a high-ranking member of the aristocracy, you know, and she had everything. She had it all. She, was, she had tons of wealth. She had all the status and all the privilege that came with that. And then at 22, her husband dies. So she's widowed at 22, and subsequently uh, two of her three children die in the next couple of years. And so she is widowed and has one child left. And, you know, she's about 23. And, of course, um, the emperor wants her to another arranged marriage to kind of keep up position and keep the land where they want the land and the political advantages they have and keep things moving. But she's pressed into the church. She leaned into, in the midst of her pain, she leans into the church. She leans into Jesus. She starts getting more and more intrigued with different spiritual disciplines. She's praying more. She's fasting. She's going through all these rhythms. And she senses this call to go participate in a monastic community, somewhere where, you know, she just leaves everything and goes and spends time in prayer and work somewhere in the desert. And so against the emperor's will, she slips away to Egypt and she spends time with these monks and learns the monastic ways. And she spends the next 40 years living in this kind of a lifestyle. And she wanders and eventually ends up in Jerusalem. She builds a monastery uh, for women. She builds several monasteries for, for guys. She builds churches. She uses her wealth to do these incredible things. She would dress up as a slave to take food into places where uh, the monks were not allowed to go. You know, she just did these crazy things. She was arrested and she spent her life doing this and eventually died back in Rome after she had gone there to visit a granddaughter and, and, and give away the remainder of her wealth, again, against the wishes of all the senators and everybody. It really messed with the status piece. But I read about lives like that. I just remember, like, calling can be so different. It can be so, there's just such great variety. And what we're doing when we're 30 or when we're 15 or when we're 65 can be so different. And it can all be the right yes to what Jesus is doing in our lives. It all looks different for all of us, what it is that we leave behind to follow Jesus. And so I want to wrap up by just kind of focusing on this scene where, where Peter is on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And I, this is the scene, I mean, this is the moment where we understand calling. This is the moment where, where it all makes sense, even though it's crazy. <laughs> it's when we're right there in that posture at the feet of Jesus. And another way of thinking about that is saying that in that moment, Peter found out that what Jesus' true worth was. You know, he, he was interested in Jesus. He knew about Jesus. He liked the idea of Jesus. But in this moment, he's saying nothing 
is worth more than you, Jesus. Uh, we used to sing this song uh, when I was in college and in church, uh, Lord, you are more precious than silver. You are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. There's, there's nothing in this world that is worth more than you. And in those moments, that's, that's when, when the calling piece tends to make sense. And I think it's the logic of the worth of Jesus that really sends us on the kinds of journeys that we set out on. Otherwise, we would never have considered. I never would have considered being here doing this kind of work with all of you beautiful people when I was a teenager or when I was, you know, gosh, a kid. I mean, I never even imagined this kind of a story. And many of you are doing work today you never would have imagined when you were kids. You do things with family and, and you've been through adoption processes and you've done things you never would have done, never would have imagined when you were a kid. And I think Peter would tell us on his last day, the very last breath that he drew when he was martyred for his faith after he had been leading the church and grown the church and reached people he never imagined he would even spend time with, much less love and minister to, I think Peter would say, you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it. Because of the all-surpassing worth of Jesus, I would do it all again. And it's the calling of Jesus, helping us find the worth of Jesus that, that really makes, helps us make sense of all that God is doing in our ordinary lives. It really doesn't matter if it's making a bereavement meal, if it's working a church camp, if it's giving money so a kid can go to church camp, if it's praying for people at church camp, if it's reading to kids at elementary schools who don't have anybody at home to read to them, if it's becoming an artist and consecrating your work to God, if it's becoming a music composer, if it's giving financially, if it's leaving behind a life of anger and resentment, if it's leaving behind the false self that we carry that beats us up and tells us that we're less than we are, or if it's leaving behind a frantic schedule to make room for people that Jesus might be catching as we speak, to set them free. All of these things are valid callings that we see in our midst, and some of them we haven't even dreamed of yet. Great dangers of talking about calling is, is that any of us would feel like, oh, that's for those people over there. Well, that's for those priests and the religious whatever. Or, or sometimes the danger is that we say, oh, yeah, that's just that ordinary stuff, you know, no big deal. Somewhere in the middle is this beautiful mystery where it, it for all of us, is going to seem like a stretch. And no one's calling is more significant than anyone else's. And it takes everyone's calling, all working together for the church to be the church and for Jesus to reach the world the way that he designed through this humble church. And the one thing I hold on to in this conversation is that as the people of Jesus, there is nothing that we ever leave behind for the sake of following Jesus that won't end up being like a seed that's planted in the soil. And because of the law of the seed and the law of death and resurrection, that will result one day in a miraculous harvest that none of us could fathom if we were told it today. That's the story that we live in. So here's to that story and to all that God is calling us to do and be this day and the days to come.
the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.